Hey everyone, my guest today is Jender Murray-Cad, who's an Aboriginal elder in Australia. He's also a professional artist. Uh, he's got a honorary doctorate in creative arts. He's been a finalist and award winner in, in all the big kind of portraiture competitions. He's been uh, commissioned for works in Parliament House and he's a beautiful soul. I don't think I've ever used that word to describe anyone before, but it was just a a really kind of heartwarming experience to sit with him and chat. So the angle of this um, episode is me as a white guy who grew up in the 1990s in Australia who really knows nothing about Aboriginal culture. I was never taught it at school. It just wasn't part of the curriculum. Kind of asking dumb questions, you know, I, I don't know what an elder is. What is that? You know, there's a heap of other things that I hear and I just don't know. And one of the reasons I really love Jandamara is that he, he's bridging the gap between old and new, between Aboriginal culture and mainstream Australia and, and communities around the world. And we talk a lot about, you know, connecting the country and, and uh, understanding that we're all part of this earth and we have to kind of respect it. So I hope you get something out of this. I know I did. Jandamara Cad, welcome uh, to the podcast. It's an honour to have you here. Honour to be here. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. Yeah. So we've only met once and, and relatively um, formally, actually. So, you know, I'm, I'm launching this, this project, Earth Tech, and, and we did a, a launch uh, here in Noosa and, and you, um, you came and did the, the welcome to ceremony. Uh, the welcome to country, rather, and acknowledgement of country. And it was amazing. So I've heard acknowledgement of country often enough, I guess, but never never in a real storytelling kind of way. And, and I was trying to think of why that was. And then I worked out that I've never really heard them from an Aboriginal elder. And you were connecting to, to place and to country. And, yeah. and it was a great... It was a great story of education about where we live and the and the people. So, yes. so yeah. So as soon as as you were talking, I was thinking, wow, I just want to have more conversations with you. Yeah, and and I think that we were just talking offline before we press record about how this conversation should take fold, yes. and um, and I think it's going to be based off my absolute ignorance, if that's, if that's okay, about, about Indigenous culture in, in Australia and, and more broadly. And so my questions are, are coming from ignorance and I guess I apologise up front for that. Man, I, I honour you for vulnerably sharing that and putting it forward, you know. It's a real vulnerable space to say that and people are scared to say that or admit that, which is half the problem, you know. When I say problem, half the issue to healing, what's blocking the healing and really walking forward as a nation, you know, new and old, in, in alignment, walking together as new and old custodians. So. Right, yeah, no, exactly. So, okay, so where, where are we? We're recording this in, in Noosa. Yeah. So who are, the, who are the people here? Who are the Indigenous uh, people? The people here, the custodians here, traditional, are the Gubby Gubby or the Kabi Kabi mob, um, yeah, who have walked on, lived on, held ceremony here for over 2,000 generations. So. 2,000 generations, yes. right. And, um, and, and are you from the Gubby Gubby people? No, I've lived here for 23 years and been coming up here to the coast since the mid-70s with my dad fishing and connecting with this land. But my mother's people are Yorta Yorta 
and Daja Marong, which is down in Victoria. So they moved up to Brisbane, had me, I was born there. And as I say, been coming up here, connecting with this country and connecting with different mob here over the years, forming really good connections. And so in that, I'm always a guest on their country. In the way, yes, I walk, I live, I, I breathe in the same elements as them and share this space, but I will never be a traditional custodian. Right. And when... So a custodian is... Is a, is a member of the of the local of the local community like that where, where they can they can trace back their heritage their lineage yes the lineage you know yeah back from their ancestors all the way through to you know as long as they can I mean for a lot of Aboriginal people they don't have a lot of records the word of mouth was their record and the sharing passed down from their elders to themselves I mean a lot of Aboriginal records were destroyed or. You know, any recollection was done by people recording in white history contexts, you know, coming and discovering a place and things like that. Oh, the group of Aborigines are here and, you know, taking some translated names and things like that. But outside of that, there's not a lot. Um, There's some pictures that have been presented, but, yeah, there's not a lot of... You know, you go to European, they've got these... A lot of this history of where their great-grandfather and their great-great-grandfather, you know, came from and a lot of that's been quite disrupted here. So yeah. it's beautiful to see them finding their connections and being able to show, um, due to their relationships with non-Aboriginal people that have lived here for many generations, that confirm what they've shared. So, right. so when I was going to school, you know, in the, in the 80s and, and 90s in Australia... Uh, we did a lot of Australian history, um, and I know a lot about Captain Cook, and yes. I know a lot about the First Fleet, uh, and I know about uh, when Australia became a, a sovereign nation, and I yes. know about uh, the political system in Australia and how that um, how that came about, and I knew that Australia was a very old country, and then there's almost this blank, you know. Yes. I was, leading into this interview, I was trying to think about when in my education or when in the conversations that I had in my house, we were, talk, we were ever taught or talking about Indigenous culture in Australia in any formal or informal way and it's just a blank. Like I, I yes. just never learnt anything, which is I guess why I'm, I'm so ignorant about it all now. Yes. Um, has it changed much? I think it's slowly changing. Those seeds are are coming into fruition and starting to grow and people are actually wanting to understand. For a long time, there's been a mentality. The one that came to these shores 238 years ago saw Aboriginal people as a backward race of savages rolling around the dirt. And that propaganda that was spread from that infiltrated and indoctrinated systems of education to believe they don't need to understand these people because... They have no value in this, this modern-day society and where it's headed. And that serves for people to profit from land that was not, you know, not, not that anyone owns the land. No one owns the dirt, the trees. But if you come into a place, if I was to go over to Scotland, I'd have total respect for the people that are there and understand I'm walking on a country. They've had thousands of generations of relationship and understanding that mentality didn't see Aboriginal people and the sophisticated connection and understanding and knowledge that they held 
that could have benefited them as well as what had benefited for thousands of generations, walking with minimal footstep on the earth. Their connection to understand when that flower comes out, that the mud crabs are ready. When that flower comes out, don't go fishing, wrong time. You'll, you know, you'll disrupt these million year cycles, taking away from your children's or children's, 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 children's future. So the teaching of Captain Cook discovering, which was totally not right, was based on these people don't have a right. And until 1967, Aboriginal people in the constitution, you know, were classed as fauna. So they were classed as animals. So in that way, there was, there was no recognition of them as human beings. So they could be treated in such ways and it didn't matter or it didn't count. And the history didn't count. But what you share about that, that blank space, people are wanting to understand now and fill it in. And I think collectively what they're understanding is it's not about them, it's about us all together and realising that these connections, not only with Mother Nature, but these connections with themselves, rely on this deep yearning to want to connect with something greater. When people connect with their lineage, their family line, and they're looking back at their grandfather, grandmother, and even back further, they're trying to connect with their identity. And I think Australians have a lot of, mainstream Australia has a fragmented identity that's based on a very new kind of thing of, you know, Holdens, you know, cattle dogs, meat pies, but they want to connect with something that gives them a greater identity and a greater connection with their surroundings. So I think they are yearning to understand a little bit more about what has been here and also dispel those myths of uh, indoctrination that have been formed that uh, say that they were just rolling around the dirt waiting to be saved, but actually see that they were very sophisticated and knowledgeable and had a wisdom of understanding that you can't learn in books, you can't, you can't learn through words, you have to sit and get this understanding in direct experience. There's a lot of similarities with the Indigenous experience in Australia and, and in the US where I've, I've been for the yes. last four years and, and then similar education system, I think, you know, yes. the, my friends and colleagues, similar kind of age. We grew up towards the end, I guess, of this cowboy and Indian kind of thing where the cowboys in all of the movies yes. were the good guys yes. and the Indians were the bad guys. And I think we were very much at the tail end of that. Yes. But the world is turning, right? The world is changing yes. pretty, pretty rapidly, I think, for the better yes. in, in understanding this, or at least it, it feels like that to me. But... But I'm the the majority, or the come from privilege, and I, and I think that's yes. that's one of the issues that that I think white Australia or white America or whatever is, faces with this issue of is it reconciliation? Is that the right word? Or yeah, it's hard because reconciliation means coming back too. We've right. never had a conciliation to start with in the way of from the beginning. It's been a you know a one sided kind of thing and you know you share about that privilege coming from a place of privilege in that there's a, there's a lot of people that speak about well you know I'll speak real there's a lot of people that still say today why don't those aborigines just get a job get on with it and become like the rest of us 
I mean, that in itself is a privilege to be able to have a voice to say such a thing to a people who, because uh, it's cultural genocide, you know, they're trying to make, and it's happened systematically here in Australia for a long time. And I don't see it as colour of skin. My father's Scottish and Swedish. My mother's Aboriginal. I've always walked between these two worlds mm. and seen the greatest benefit of both, and I've seen the worst of both. But what I see is this uh, part of privilege is that it try to change people into that way because they held the majority or the power. And for all of the years, or, you know, until more so recently, they've been trying to in, um, turn Aboriginal people into white people. Right. And in that way, they've done a lot of damage. So they've tried to stop them from practising their rituals, their way, their ceremonies, speak their language. Aboriginal people have come from a place of trying to understand where they belong. We hold the highest rates of suicide in the entire world, highest rates of incarceration in the entire world per capita, lowest life expectancy out of all people in the entire world. These are not things you should be proud of, and Aboriginal people aren't proud of this, but it's a struggle to know how to move forward. How do you go backwards? There's got to be some way of navigating this modern-day society but keeping that cultural identity how I share it is for Aboriginal people, and I think for all of us on a deeper level, it's like a fish in water. For Aboriginal people, their connection to land may look separate, like that fish in water, but as soon as you try to do that, look what will happen. You know, that fish will, anxiety, starts to get anxiety, separation anxiety, starts to freak out. Its organs start shutting down, its brain, everything, all its faculties, eventually it passes away. Aboriginal people are in that transition going, I can't, I don't know who I am without my connection to country. You know, my connection to these animals, this plant. This is genetic memories of millions of years of what's natural for me. And when they say, get over it, get on with it, get a job and be like the rest of us, what they're saying is cut off who you are and try to live without an identity. Become a walking dead, put a suit on and become like us, which, you know, isn't, the way that people are living isn't wrong. There is no right or wrong, but there's, there's paths to healing and the healing isn't happening because of this privileged place of privilege that doesn't look through the veil of that ignorance to see that this is destroying not only a people, it's destroying the oldest living continuous culture in the world. There's got to be some value there to something that has its origins. When Jesus was walking around or Caesar all these so-called ancient things, Aboriginal people are here doing what they've done for thousands of generations. So. Yeah. One of the reasons that I'm growing in my inquiry or interest is my passion for the environment and how to get us as a humanity really from exploiting our environment to being stewards of the environment. And I think the irony where um, Europeans come and settle, uh, you know, and, and discover in yes. uh, quote unquote yes. a place. The way that modern culture has lived its life over the last at least 150, 200 years, it's totally exploitative in its in its mindset. And there's so many side effects that we're now discovering, both from yes. a environmental point of view, but also, you know, you spoke about the anxiety and, and, and depression and yes. suicide within the Aboriginal community, which is very real, 
but it's not like you can point to white Australia or, yes. or white America as yes. as a as a shining light of any either. You know, there's of those things. yeah, because yes. there's yes. so much there's so much suffering, right? In, yes. in in both cultures, and and so I think for me, you know, the smartest technology people I know, the smartest scientific people that I know, are going back to nature to learn. Yes. And, yes. and the irony is that they're using. Or is it an irony, or maybe a newfound wisdom? Yes. Is that they're going back to the old ways to learn? And I think there's, hopefully, we're on a on a verge of something really special. Where in order to make our planet sustainable, yes, we have to join these two worlds because yes. you know the Aboriginal people or the the Native American people, etc. Yes, because they've had such a connection to land always. Yes. And I think modern society is just starting to cotton on to the fact that yes. we're kind of running out of time, there's a climate crisis going on, we're, you know, we're, we're trying to exploit our planet where we have to be stewards. Yes. So there's, now there's lessons. Like now, yes. now I think we, you know, the, the, whatever that means, are starting to realise that we're in big trouble here yes. if we don't take the lessons from from the old learnings from yes. from the Aboriginal people or the or, or, or whatever, the Indigenous people around the world that have always just had yes. that connection to land. Yes. So so tell me about that. Like what is the foundation of the connection to land and the knowledge base within that? You talk about the wisdom. Yes. And it seems to be a knowledge around you have to have a healthy planet to have a healthy tribe, a healthy yes. humanity. Is that fair? Yes. For Aboriginal people contradictory to what was believed and what I shared about the statements, you know, that have been made and thrown around before. Aboriginal people had no dentists. They had no known tooth decay. They had no hospitals. There was no known sickness. There was no known diseases that you have today. They had no jails. There was no known crime rates. They had no buildings for statistics to hold of suicide rates. All of these things which, as you say, in Western culture, whether it's black, white, green is just running rampant, it's just escalating and growing. My great-grandmother once said to me, when you move away from this one, as she's pointing to the, to the ground, you get this one. And it, it means rama-rama, means sickness of the spirit. And it manifests physically, emotionally, mentally, you know, and, and it's a spiritual thing because the further you move away from the land, the further you move away from who you are and your, your birthright identity, that's... Inherently, you know, all our traditions, you talk about indigenous cultures, but even traditional Scottish, traditional, you know, English, Swedish, our origins come from that relationship. It is so, if the fish pollutes that water, it kills itself, you know, and what we're doing is polluting the water and not thinking that it's going to have any consequences, thinking that we are separate. What I see it as, for Aboriginal people who are here, and this is what a lot of my beautiful elders around the country have shared that we're living in the Garden of Eden. Everything was in abundance. Everything was in its natural state because they lived with a strong accordance to this natural law, L-O-R-E, which is understanding that they are part of something as opposed to they are above or separate from something. In our language, we don't have words that refer to separateness. Yeah, we have descriptive words, but nothing is in reference of being outside of it, like the fish would talk of water. What, is, what are you talking about? Water. What is that? I mean, if you were to go outside and think of a bird in a tree right now mortgaging its nest, going, or, you know, having an auction, 
you know, mortgage, it's nest off. I bid 200, you know, you got uh, an auction of that. But who bids 200 sticks, 300, four? We go, that's, that's crazy. How? But this is what we do. But we've learnt to believe that it's normal. We've got to come back and dispel those myths and decompose and deconstruct those heavily dense, indoctrinated beliefs that we are separate. And so for Aboriginal people, their stories, their dance, their ceremonies, even the language, everything is based around this inherent understanding that we are the one. We are one with everything. And the dreaming, the dreaming stories, people look at them and go, oh, they're fun, little fables, but they all at greater indicators to point in the direction of something that you cannot understand in the mind. You can only know in your spirit and your, it's a direct experience of knowing. When you look at a sunset or a fire or something that really in nature, you're lost in it, you're at one with it. And then you realize when you step outside of it and step back in your mind, wow, that's beautiful. But in that moment, you're free. You're, you're, you're free to be as you were designed to be in total connection. So for Aboriginal people, their connection to that flower, that dirt, that tree, and their responsibility to look after it, it wasn't one that was an effort or they have to do. It was a natural going, this is me, this is self, this is as one. I don't want to hurt that other person. I don't want to hurt that plant. I don't want to destroy that fish. I don't want to take, if I have to take life, it's in sacred reverence and it's going to be done to understand that it does not disrupt the abundance of what is here in the next moment and the next moment after that. Yeah, and so, I mean, as you were talking there, I just was almost <laughs> listing all the things in modern life that is counter to what you were just talking about. You know, yes. where we're not connected to our food supply. Yes. We're not connected to, you know, our, our feet on the, on, the, on the earth. You know, yes. we're not connected to to really how the, how the earth lives and breathes as traditional communities all over the world were. How do we move forward, right? Because one of the things that really struck me when we first met was yes. that you were talking about, well, we can't go backwards. Yes. And I think that there's a, there's a blockage there, right? Everyone, when people think about how to mend these wounds, I think, at least I thought, that what that meant was somehow going backwards, like... Yes. Somehow, yeah, reversing time or, or, or separating somehow. Or, I didn't know what it meant, but it felt like yes. it meant going backwards. But when I hear you talk, you're talking about moving forwards together. Yes. So paint me a picture of that. What, what does that look like in your mind? So for me, moving forwards is about bringing what is behind or what is back, whatever that, you know, thing of linear journey. But we... For Aboriginal people, I mean, in a lot of cultures, we see it as a circle, that there's no, you know, there's, that that's always an end product. There's never an end product. It's always the journey. There is no destination. When I reach there, I'll, you know, it'll be all cool. It's like you're continuing in a journey and that journey is more like a circle or a spiral. So in that, what it looks like is that you can't, deny what is here. This, this is what's happening. This is the reality of expression now. Technology, all of these things. But they do have to align with that natural law. They have to understand that it's not a law that you abide by because you've been told to. It's a law for the sustainability of all of our, all of life, every, every aspect. So in that technology used in a way 
that facilitates, you know, the role of nature and its importance, facilitates education, systematically infiltrates all these systems that are based on separateness and about treating things with such disrespect and disregard. I don't think people, there are people that throw their McDonald's out the window. I don't see them as bad. What I see is that they've been indoctrinated to the point where they're hurting so much inside that they throw that out the window because they don't care if they die. That, what I mean is they don't care if the planet suffers because they don't, and there's no disrespect to them at all, but, but a lot of people, including myself as I was growing up, were infused with this feeling of deep loneliness and suffering and isolation, which is infused by no connection with your community, no connection with people, no connection with your environment. Right? Technology is a beautiful thing. If you go onto Facebook, my family live in Melbourne. I can connect and know what they're doing. Whereas before, I wouldn't know unless I rang up or did things, which meant you know, you'd, have, you'd be spending time on there, more time than just looking at, wow, that's awesome. It can bring people together. I think used with the right intention, everything for me comes back to intention. If you use technology, if you utilise, yes, a career-based thing that but aligns in keeping that spiral going rather than if I get over there, I'll have all that money and I'll have that life that I need. Why can you not have that abundance of those material things that don't come at the cost of something else, which is overall the bigger picture, which is life for all of us? And ultimately, if you dig those holes bigger and you cut down that tree to get that one fruit, you're taking from your children's future, you're taking from your children's children's future. And in that, I feel it's the greatest form of child abuse that could ever exist. Because it's like, I want what I want now, but you're not going to have it tomorrow because of that. Rather than going, yeah, not right time to take that fruit. Maybe I'll leave those three on there for the birds. And those seeds will come down and more, more fruit will grow. Wow, that, that's, that's a legacy for my children. So I, I feel like this modern day way is not wrong or bad, but it does need to be in balance and in a homeostasis that keeps feeding each other and supporting one another and what needs to happen on grassroots levels that ripples and infiltrates these systems is the right awareness that we are that rather than we own that or that, you know, we belong to that as opposed to we own that. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. One of... Um is a professor at MIT in the US, I can't remember his name now, but he was quoted as saying that a technologist is someone who builds because they can, and a human mm. technologist is someone who builds because they care. Yeah. Same skill set, yes. different intention, right? Yes. Yeah. How do we collectively go about repairing the, or healing, how do we go about healing indigenous communities that are hurting so much because of the past because i wasn't personally responsible for yes. those crimes yes and i think that's where i struggle with this about well what is my responsibility here right yes. my father wasn't my grandfather wasn't yes so what is my responsibility both as an individual and, and then as as a society and then, I guess beyond that, how do we, how do we go about healing? I feel the, the greatest step and the biggest step is acknowledgement that these things happened. Mm. 
You've got people, I said that statement before, why don't they get a job, get over it and be like the rest of us? Imagine if you walked into the RSL and said that to the diggers, get over it, get on, move over, be like the rest of us, we're all cool. Why you got a problem? Or, or if they walked up to the victims of the Holocaust and said the same thing. It doesn't seem to apply for Aboriginal people. They don't have that same empathy or connection. And again, I feel that's due to the propaganda that's been, but you know, they're animals. They don't deserve the same rights as us humans. That acknowledgement heals wounds. That allows, you know, we're not looking, Aboriginal people, I know my family aren't looking for people to go, you're wrong, you're bad, and put blame. It's not about blame. It's just about healing, but you can't heal if you've got a, a majority of a nation and a society that has no real, has that ignorance because it's based on not knowing the true history of what happened, the massacres, the rapings, the mass rapings. So you have all these, you know, really brown kids that they then steal and, and you know, brainwash them into believing that their culture is bad and wrong and causes so much damage. All this is part of the systematic whitening of Aboriginal people. But in that, you know, that, that there's got to be that acknowledgement that this and bring the truth, not the hidden truth, the open truth into the light and allow it to be spoken because this cannot happen again to any people. And if, what, how do you stop that? It's by people going, wow, I really feel for that person. When there's a cyclone, when there's a flood, when there's a, you know, a mass accident or something, people don't run in the other direction. They'll often risk their life to go and help that person or people. They don't care whether they, they don't go. Are you black? Are you are you uh, Catholic? Because of their empathy, I believe mainstream Australia doesn't have that empathy, but is starting to develop it for these First Nation people, mobs here, Aboriginal, Torres Strait Islander people, because they don't really know the true history of what happened, which has been hidden, and it needs to come out. You know, my family is is lathered in intergenerational trauma, stuff that happened being displaced, having massacres, gone through, you know, stolen generation. These things are passed down from genetically as well. If you see women that their mother gets, their grandmother gets breast cancer, then their, you know, the daughter, their mother, and then they end up, genetically things get passed down. And same with trauma. And this trauma is still living alive, hence why the high rates of suicide, incarceration, and low life expectancy. It is heavily oppressing First Nation people, where they feel like they can't take a breath of fresh air and move forward because their story isn't valid and they're meant to heal somehow, just get over it and get on with it because, you know, they've got a supposedly a better way in front of them. That acknowledgement then leads to other things like people seeing the value of a culture, people wanting to bring that culture into a, a way rather than dismantle it and make it look their way acknowledge and bring it in for what it is and have it in a symbiotic way coexist in mainstream Australia and enrich the lives of all people through its awareness and knowledge. So, yeah. Love that. Your preferred creative outlet is, is art. You're a professional artist. You yes. were just, you were just um, you know, commissioned for a piece at the Parliament House in Australia. Yes. How is your culture infused into your art and your and your storytelling uh, how, do, how does that manifest it's a great part for me it's humanity and and for me i paint my first nation mobs from all around the australia 
predominantly in my art because I feel like I want to be a voice for, you know, feminine rising. I want to be a voice for those, you know, LBGT community. I want to be a voice for those that are all oppressed. I want to be able to use, I'm in servitude. My art is a reflection of my servitude to trying to unite people and bring people together in truth that, you know, not just this conceptual thing, we're all one, oh, hippie, let's go, you know, hug a tree. That airy-fairy belief is the actual truth of who we are and in that sense of trying to dispel those ignorance, those myths of, that create such ignorance and unite people. And with Aboriginal people, I try to, not in a, non, in a non-aggressive way, because I don't believe if you come at someone and try to change their views or viewpoint through forcing them, it, it's never going to happen. It has to come. When the ocean comes into the shore, into the headland, it erodes gently over millions of years in that relationship gently but that relationship there is one that's based on an eternal element and i believe the truth within us is something that exists within all of us i know i'm talking all over the place but if you think of gandhi gandhi brought the entire british empire to its knees never shot one bullet never raised one fist this was because the truth in us knows inherently what's right it gets misdirected due to distorted beliefs, patterns and things like that. But people gently coming to the place through their own realisation or unfolding of that truth in awareness. I've seen people come to ceremony for Abri and come out crying. Non-Aboriginal people come out crying. They go, wow, I've never, I've never experienced that before. And true ceremony where they're, they're sharing of stories, they're sharing of their culture. And the dance is so infused that the spaces between the motions of the dance and the, you know, the words shared reaches into those people and touches them. I, with my art, in, invite the viewer to feel again because I feel that empathy comes from feeling. And you know, we're, we're so locked in a society that is all uh, sees the value of this intellectualization right. and, and staying in concepts and things. But they, they are prison cells that stop us from actually connecting with something spontaneous or outside of ourselves. You can look at the sky and never see the sky. All you see is what you think about the sky. So I feel through my art I'm inviting people, the viewer, to connect with themselves inside so that they can relate to that subject. And that might lead them a little bit further into what is the story of that subject or what is the subject matter about, which often is infused with this connection to country or this connection to something that relates to us all universally. So, and if it doesn't consciously, I know that subconsciously, seeds are always planted, whether people acknowledge them or don't, so. So what I'm getting from that is, you know, for me, it's my go-to is, well, I must learn more. Yes. But that's not, it sounds like that's not the starting point. The starting point is empathy. Yes. And then other things will unfold. Yes, because then in empathy, if you empathise with someone, you want to walk in their shoes in a way and you want to go, well, you are walking in their shoes because you're imagining what it would be like or what it would feel like, whether it's happy, joy or, or the shadow emotions of pain and trauma. Wow. You'd want to... And then walking in their shoes for a moment, that it gives you... A, obviously, it frees you from that conceptual prison cell, but it also gives you an insight into something that can open up a whole new realm of understanding within as well. So I feel like the learning comes after the empathy because I think with, um, without empathy, you've always got a viewpoint or a standpoint. You talked about 
as we talked in our conversation, that you could have prepared all this information and had it all ready, but you wanted to come into it really vulnerable and open and, and really give yourself a chance of curiosity to understand something outside of what could be all prepared and, you know, keep you safe, I suppose. And in that, it's great for people to get a glimpse of something outside of themselves that comes from empathy because the things that open up there, I think, become substantial learning. Not something that you learn in your head and you forget 10 minutes later, but actually affect your core and actually some part of something that you hold in your core values, which are your connection with your family, you know, your, your community and maybe, you know, nature in some way, whether it's fishing for people or whatever. But people get to go, yes, I, can, I, I want to learn from them people rather than, yeah, maybe should, maybe I should do right. that or yeah. I have to. I really want to. So there's a natural yearning or, yeah. Yeah. So, okay, so I feel like I need to ask ten dumb questions, you yes, know, to... Oh, good. Because if I have these questions, then there's probably other people that, you know, went through school and learned nothing about Aboriginal culture or yes. First Nations culture. So at the risk of sounding like an idiot. So what is an acknowledgement to country? Why do um, we do that? There's, there's two different things. There's welcome to country and there's acknowledgement to country. Welcome to country is only done by traditional custodians of the land that you're on. There's over 500 different nations in Australia. I mean, you go to go to Europe and there's Germany and France. Germany can't speak for France and France can't, you know, I can try to, but then that's how wars happen. But so, you know, in that there's an understanding that these areas are held and supported by that mob and have been for thousands of generations. So welcome is only done by them. Acknowledgement is where anyone can do an acknowledgement because it's acknowledging that you're on this country and you have respect for these people that have walked, held ceremony and understand these relationships with the natural environment that you're living within. That's being, you know, of a new or old custodian coming in and having that responsibility. And acknowledgement or welcome, well, I suppose I can only speak for acknowledgement. Living here, my acknowledgement of that is going, I come in and my lineage isn't from here for thousands of generations, but I come in with such respect that what you have and what you're, is the true goal. This plastic money and this cars and this house and all these things, they exist and they serve a purpose. But my true well-being is connected to your wisdom and understanding and knowledge. And that is the gold, the diamonds and the rubies that will, will make my life and enhance my life and my family's life and enrich our communities to make us more sustainable. So, What's walkabout? How does that... What is that? Is that a real thing? Yes, so walkabout would be something that, I mean, still people go walkabout today. It's a bit hard with jobs and yeah, things like yeah. that or commitments or, and, and, you know, family. We had kinship laws, you know, which related in our family. So in kinship, just quickly, I won't go into it too much, but my mother's sisters weren't known as my, my aunties. They were my mothers. So I had multiple, in, in growing up traditionally, I would have multiple mothers. My father's brothers would all be my fathers, not my uncles. So you had this extended family because when one went walkabout or few, you always still had family there looking after you, not as a nephew, or, but as a mother and a father and continual connection. So walkabout was often, from what I understand and what I know, was a time of reflection, a time of being called to go 
and be in commune with nature, be in commune. You know, men would often go walk about together. There was often men's business, women's business, a lot of together business, but men would go off or women would go off walk about and spend that time together listening and, and connecting with the dreaming. We have song lines and they, you know, align with the constellations and all of these things. Often it's those connection with those things that nurture us on a deeper level where you come back into your world, come back into your community or your, you know, your region, tribal area, and you come back with new insights or new connections or enriched. So often it was time spent going walkabout and often connection, probably connecting with other tribal members as well of different neighbouring tribes and sharing of information. They had one beautiful ceremony here on the Sunshine Coast, which was one of the biggest I know in Australia, or most prominent, which was the Bunya Fest, Bunya Gathering. And every so often years, I, I, there was an abundance of the Bunya nut which comes here, which is endemic to this region. And this fall, you used to have people coming from as far away as Byron Bay area, as far away as Bundaberg, coming down to collect here thousands and thousands of different Aboriginal people to collect, and maybe Torres Strait Islander, but coming to collect here, bringing foods from their countries, their stories, their dances, that have marriages, that have disputes over there, and you know, you go and do that. But it was a massive collective of people that would come together. So, you know, and coming together, I know that we were talking about walkabout, but just reminded me of that big gathering where the tribal areas would have a, a treaty, you know, to allow people to walk through and come and sit and share. What are elders? Uh, so our elders, you've got, I mean, elders of all communities, I suppose, are older participants, but you may be older, but we, in a real refined sense, our elders are often ones that hold the stories or hold the culture alive, and they're the ones that are at the forefront of keeping our knowledge base. They're like encyclopedias. They're like the ones you go to continually. And often you can say they're just the older generation, but on a more refined sense, they're the ones that the community know that have the value, have that diamonds, that gold, that are, you know, and they're the ones that are often have the awareness of keeping everything in, I suppose, what I call alignment from our younger generations to our middle ones. They're the ones that, you know, are the decision makers, the ones that decide when to and when not to. Our respect is completely devoted to these elders because they have that years of not only experience of living, but that experience of connections. Got it. And secret men's business, secret women's business, yes. how does that work and why is that important? Because that's been beaten up in the mainstream media, I think, over the years. At least I remember as a child that being a point of contention Yes. What, what is that and why is that important? Well, men's business and women's business obviously relate to the male and the female. And, and we had initiation in men's business, you know, same as in women's business. I can talk more so about men's business because it's my place. But for men's business, we had the initiation where we'd take the young boys and it would be a period where they'd go off with the men. And this would be a period of understanding what it is to be a man and what comes responsibility with that. Today in society, I mean, in all different degrees, but some of the degrees are, you know, you go down, you get pissed, you know, maybe get into a fight and have sex with a few different girls and you're a man. And 
sadly, I think our initiation process is very lacking, and that was a big one of part of you know men's business, um, but also there were ceremonies based on men's connection and understanding that we have certain ceremonial areas that are predominantly for men's business and women's business. Men will not go in certain areas and women will not go in certain areas. But these relate to men's understanding and their connection with, you know, with earth, with community, with, with themselves and the responsibility that they're to take on. And women had their responsibility as well. And you had the patriarch and the matriarch, which, you know, many different tribal areas, depending on many factors, their totem, everything else, whether they were matriarchally driven or patriarchally driven. And it wasn't one of, you obey because I'm like a king. It was more they were the ones that were aligned to guide and orchestrate the movements of the, the entire clan or people. Yeah. Some years ago, the Prime Minister at the time, Kevin Rudd, formally said, on behalf of Australia, we're sorry. Yes. Did that mean anything? Was that a meaningful gesture or just a gesture to First Nation people? I can't speak for all mobs, I, but me, I feel like that man had a good intention. I feel like, and it was a sorry for the stolen generation. It wasn't a sorry for all, because all that truth's still hidden, you know, the massacres, the rapings, all of those other, it was just for the stolen generation. Well, not just for, but you know, it was for that. And. I knew one of the elders that attended was in Parliament House when Kevin Rudd did this, Uncle Bob Randall, who was stolen out of his mother's arms at the age of eight. I feel like there are people like that, or Gough Whitlam, you know, with supporting certain things and certain other ones that, that have a pure intention. I feel like that sorry had a pure intention, but whether it really changed anything, I'm not, I'm not too sure, you know, because still there are things happening that don't show that that has full richness or validity or that society has really embraced that notion as well. There's still behaviours and actions that contradict that. And so it's hard to believe whether it's really creating any change, but I don't believe Kevin Rudd was doing it on a token basis, but maybe the government that facilitates the legislation and everything else behind that, as soon as he's out, nothing changes, you know, it's all still, there's still children being taken away under different policies and legislation and there's still the, the you know, the non-bringing out of the truth, there's still, you know, people representing ministers of Indigenous that, that have no interest in understanding a culture that want to tell, paternalise, treat them like children and still tell them, yeah, you go do this and you do, that's not what they need, but anyway, yeah. With the welcome to country or the acknowledgement to country, should there be a response? Should there be a reply? Like, whenever I see them, if someone was to invite me into their home, yes. I'd say, thank you for having me. But it's a one-sided, sometimes token. Yes. I've probably seen more token than otherwise, which, yes. is what, which is why when you did the acknowledgement to country for the launch of Earth Tech, it, it struck me so deeply. It was the first time yes. I'd seen that. But... Yeah, are we meant to respond? I don't think so. I, I think it's more of an acknowledgement. If people want to come up and obviously say thank you for that, that, that's deeply respectful and very beautiful. And the intention for many will be, you know, for I imagine for most First Nation people would be very much of, wow, thank you, I'm honoured that you feel that way. That's refreshing. But no, I, I think it's a thing of 
where people just sit and absorb it and take it in as what it's how it's delivered with sacred reverence. You know, you've still got this thing, and I and it's not negative. When I talk about it, I'm just trying to give a bigger picture. You've still got people that say, oh, dance, Aborigines, dance. Yeah, share your stories. One day it won't be, it'll be, oh, wow. I really see, yes, the physical actions, are, but there's something greater going on, what it's pointing to. And hopefully it won't be seen as a token thing or something that's just put on for the tourist or something. People yeah. see this is actually people still reaching out their hand after such trauma to want to share of their culture and all of that. So, so yeah, I think the acknowledgement is one of just sitting and listening. I think sometimes in replying publicly, especially when, Europe, as you say, European people have such a voice, Aboriginal people's voice is often being talked over and oppressed and shut down. They just want to be able to share something and not have it, you know, come back with anything. So it's, it's probably a respectful Good. thing for them yeah. to share yeah. and have people just Absorb. accept it. Yeah. Nice. What should we do with Australia Day? Well, there's a, the thing of change the date. If we were to have a national celebration that came about and we celebrated on Anzac Day, take it, you know, how would, how would the diggers feel? How would the nation feel? There would be a lot of people in an uproar. What? How can you celebrate on such a day? That day is not necessarily about feeling bad or feeling guilty or it's about a sacred reverence and responsibility natural wanting in yourself to remember. These, lots of these people gave their lives so that we have the life that we have today. Changing Australia Day, how is it going to, for me, I, I, I see it from both sides, my father's side and my mother's side. Uh, yeah. And I go, how, how is it really going to hurt if it's moved to another day? You've still got a celebration, it's great. How can it not benefit a people who are trying to, as I say, be acknowledged for their pain and heal and they're not allowed to heal because they still feel like they're, they're invisible and they're not acknowledged that their hidden stuff is not allowed to be brought out. So, you know, Australia Day, I get it. Everyone's gone, this is our day, you know. This is great, celebrate it. And, you know, a lot of First Nation people won't celebrate it. Pretty much all First Nation people won't celebrate it because it means massacre, it means raping, it means genocide. It means all these things that bring them so much hurt. Why would they want to jump up and dance and, you know, and nationally celebrate with you? I don't understand as a human being why it can't be moved to another day and allow that healing to happen on that day. To me, that would be a sign of changing, true changing times, and that sorry would have much more validity and richness yeah. due to acts like this. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And the, the linking to Anzac Day yes. or let's say, you know, Memorial Day in the US or, or whatever, where they are days that the country comes together, yes. not in celebration but in remembrance and, yes. and healing and, and days like Anzac Day have particular reverence now yes. to me as a, as a veteran, I guess, as well, yes. of there's a lot of people out there right now that are suffering from yes. PTSD, et cetera. Absolutely. And so Anzac Day has a, has a reverence to it. Yes. And, and I think that having a day, maybe it's on the day, you know, maybe it's on the current, like, 26th of January, yes. of remembrance and healing 
Yes. I think a lot of people could get on board with that. I think it's... Um, I just, I just haven't seen it described like that. I haven't seen it... I haven't read that. I haven't, I haven't heard that in the media about, yeah, using Anzac Day as, as an exemplar of what it could be. And it could be so much richer yes. than just barbecues and, and uh, That's right. yeah. And people can put their empathy there, you know, and go, wow, yeah, that would feel terrible for the Anzacs. Mm. So, that, you know, it's always trying to link that sense of empathy mm. to go, I'm part of a movement, a big collective movement that's about pro and not anti. I believe that the massacres, everything needs to be brought out, but I don't want to be doing it, creating through anger and violence. I'm trying to focus on be more of what I want to see. On Australia Day this year, last year, the year before, I've been going to the Bunya Dreaming, which is a beautiful gathering, all people, that come and share through Auntie Beverly Hand, which is an elder here, Kabi uh, Kabi elder, has, has orchestrated it. You know, it was over, I would say, around 500, whatever, plus people gathered out at Ewan Maddock Dam out near there, beautiful area, and, and celebrated with bunyan nuts and activities, events, song, dance, ceremony, you know, or people playing guitars, whatever it be, come. And that was a beautiful way that I could envision Australia, maybe not with the bunya, but, you know, in some way, celebrating, using that energy in a way that is about healing and celebrating, as opposed to let's get angry and let's get, mm. you know, about who's right and who's wrong, right. all of these things, yeah. Yeah, I love that. How do I help my kids understand or have empathy? or Because I certainly don't want them to feel guilt yes. about the past. Yes but I certainly wanted them to have a connection to all people in this land, yes. particularly, I think, you know, traditional um, or First Nations people. How can I help my kids? I think this, this is a big one, you know, by doing something like this and ripples out. But directly, I think, taking them to events like Lyndon Davis, uh, many people on the coast here know Lyndon, Ani Bev, you know, many different family members that have ceremony, that have events, and not just a welcome to country as, you know, 15, 20 minutes before, but the hold events on the coast here. Linden is trying to establish a cultural centre, something that people can go to. There is also a man, a beautiful brother, Kabi Kabi, Terry Neal, who goes around the schools with a bus, Gumbaka, and shares culture, has in the bus ganyas and stories of everything that he goes through, this big bus that he's decked out and filled full of cultural enrichment. Bringing children to that, but also looking online if there isn't access to that. Opening up to NITV and watching programs with them, sitting, maybe them by themselves, but sitting with them and, and sharing aspects of why they, you know, express that or, you know, and, and giving them that right understanding. I really feel so positive when I look at this younger generation. The consciousness that they're coming through with I think is going to turn this whole paradigm around and they, they are seeing the value of things that other generations haven't, you know, before. And I feel like my generation, your generation, and, and a few of those before are really laid this foundation for them to take off. And I, so I feel like there's not a lot to do, but I think in doing it, well, there is, but that what I think is their natural inquisitiveness for this is 99% of the change that's going to happen. 
because they really want to, to see or know or understand to a degree. So Yeah, couldn't agree. As, as you were saying, I, I realised that I got the question wrong. The right question was, like, how do I learn from my children? Yes, yes. Because they, are, <laughs> they've both got the conscience and, and they are learning a lot more in school yes. than, than, than I certainly did. And, yeah, I mean, I, this next generation coming through, I mean, my hero is a 16-year-old from Sweden, Greta Thornburg. Oh, you know, she's yes. legitimately my, my hero. And so, yeah, we can learn so much from, the, yes. from this next generation because of, because of their consciousness. It's, yes. it's amazing. Yeah, cool, cool. What else can you share? You know, what else would you like to be known? Let's let's assume that most people listening to this are more like me, you know, ignorant to much of, of the First Nation culture and what should we know? Yeah, that, that's an interesting question because there's... For me, the knowledge doesn't necessarily come through the dances or the stories or the art... They're all beautiful catalysts and they happen and they're pertinent parts of all expressions of First Nation culture and have been for, you know, thousands of generations. But it's all what these things point to. A finger pointing to the moon isn't the moon. And these things are trying to guide people back to themselves. What will be a new dawning or a new day and a new era and a new, you know, when that shift really kicks in and happens is when people see that because that's an indigenous culture and has existed for so long that back there isn't behind back there part of that circle is where you're headed to you know because you're coming back to that realization that there is no the further you go so supposedly forward that you're advanced and you're progressing when people understand that our connection to country or connection to land, I won't even say country because it's, it's in land, they're all concepts, but our connection to ourselves through all of these things, when they happen, everything else starts to make sense in our lives. I think the fragmentation that happens so much and you say this ignorance, it keeps us imprisoned. It keeps us imprisoned into a way of being that can't last. The earth will, will get rid of us, you know, it will happen. We think we're damaging the earth. The earth will go, see you later, boom, bye. It's us that are becoming the endangered species. And I believe the true key is to understanding that these dances, these ceremonies, the spaces between all of these things, the spaces between the words, between the brushstroke or the handprint or the, the, the spaces between the storytelling is indicative of something that we're all part of. When that shift happened and, these, and people get to realise that, they start to see that it's not, it's not me but we. Muhammad Ali did the shortest poem in history and he stood up and he said, me, we. And I believe that speaks multitude of volumes because when you come from an intention of we, the world opens up. And I believe if we come from an intention of me, there's always going to be competition, there's always going to be us and them, which causes you to be imprisoned by this belief that you are on your own in some way, shape or form. You know, on your own, meaning that even though you have friendships, you have connection to community, you don't have anything really substantial that you know that when you're taking your last breaths, you're not going anywhere. You're here. You're, you're, you're forever. I'm, I don't mean to 
you know, I challenge people's religions or anything, but there's an eternal substance to all of us. And I realized that a lot of First Nations way had been we're spirit having a human experience as opposed to humans having a spiritual experience, which is, is worlds apart. So hopefully people get to realize that they live with a greater sense of purpose and these things of depression, hopelessness, despair that come into our societies dissolve away and our sense of wellness physically, emotionally, mentally will we'll start to come back into alignment again. Beautiful. I can't think of a better way to finish. Thank you, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you for coming in. Definitely. Appreciate it.